0: Hello. Welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Jill Anderson. Today, we are talking to Lynn Michael Brown, a professor at Colby College who has been studying and working with girls for 25 years. She is the author of many books on this topic, including the most recent, Powered by Girl, a Field Guide for Supporting Youth Activists. Welcome to the EdCast, Lynn.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And welcome back to Harvard.
1: Thanks good to be here.
0: Yeah I'm sure that a lot of people are going to be reaching out to you while you're back on campus Um, and one of the things I'm sure they're going to be talking to you about is is your latest book and in this book you talk a lot about moving girls away from the image of being empowered to actually being empowered. What does that mean?
1: Well it means that um, girl empowerment is often associated with well everything from you know um making crafts to, <laughs> um, to, you know, how they look, you know, um, their appearance and uh, being powerful is really about um, engaging with the world and making the world better in some ways. So I'm trying to look at activism as sort of not a kind of um, preparation for leadership in the future, but um, girls participating in um, projects that they're really passionate about and having an effect in the here and now.
0: One of the things that seems to be happening is activism is very trendy these days. Um, something the media has really latched onto, especially with women and young girls. And it seems everybody has a, a cause these days. How can this be a bad thing for girls?
1: Well, it's a it's a bad thing when activism is um, commodified and connected to sort of an individual girl's appearance or. Um, the things that she can do on her own, um, which is often the way, you know, we, uh, we see sort of activism in the media, whether it's Lena Dunham or, um, you know, Taylor Swift, or, you know, and they're sort of... Um, called activists. They're, they're um, interested in great things and doing wonderful things, but um, activism as social change really is about working together with other people. It's uh, not glamorous. It's hard work. Um, and when it's put out as sort of an individual accomplishment or connected to celebrity, um, what we lose is, you know, the message to girls that they have to connect with people. They have to really care about something. They have to be in it for the long haul.
0: Right. And I, I see a lot of it in women's magazines about highlighting even just the average, the so-called average person, the average girl doing something extraordinary. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh, work with girls for a long time with a um, organization called Spark Movement, and it's a coalition of girls working together um, to do social change work. um, And we've had some accomplishments accomplishments in the in the media. And often, when a young girl um, is part of a project or sort of steps out, she's identified as very special and very, you know, um, unique. And she's young, and look what she's doing all on her own. And we've had so many of experiences with that um, when in fact you know the accomplishment comes from um, collective work and hard work Um, and when that happens I think girls watching it might be inspired by the individual for the moment but um, after she sort of moves on they are really left with no skills and no understanding of how actually to do what she accomplished and so I think if we want to really have an impact if we want girls to sort of be in the world to change the world um, then we really have to give them the skills and resources um, to do that.
0: Something we're going to get to a little bit later, how, how we do that. But I'm curious if adults should be encouraging activism or trying to support activism.
1: Well, we talk a lot about youth-fueled activism or youth-driven activism. I think the notion that particularly younger girls could do this all on their own is also part of the, um, the myth you know, of the kind of special girl or whatever. Um, I think girls need adults to support, um, to provide training and resources to help them understand how the world works, how power flows through institutions, that's that's learned, you know. We, they don't know that unless we're really working with them. But I think the really powerful experience for youth is when they identify the issues they feel most passionate about and um, adults really respect that and respect their experience Experiences and work to scaffold that, rather than to sort of take o- take it over.
0: Right. We yeah. should not be pushing kids or <laughs> right. pushing them.
1: Right, and really encouraging youth, and this is girls and boys, to really, um, you know, notice when the world is unfair or people are hurt and to really ask them questions about you know what can we do about this how do we imagine things could be different um... and uh... really it from a very early age questioning and putting sort of um... encouraging their curiosity about these things so that when they're older um, they start to identify things they care about and we can support those things
0: piggyback on that a little bit uh, I think I read somewhere you said something that when a girl says her, the first time she says that's not fair is really an opportune time to begin a conversation and kids love to say that's not fair so play along with me for a bit where do we go after that that's not fair comment what does that conversation look like between an adult and a, a child or a young girl
1: yeah, I think the response is not life is fa- life is unfair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think the response is why do you say that? Um, what have you noticed, what's happening, you know, um, is there anything we could do about that, you know, how might we think about doing something, who could help us do those things, you know, what do we need to know um, in order to sort of understand what's happening. I think a lot of preparation for activism is really about learning, you know, it's really about doing a little bit of research. Is what's happening something that happens a lot? Is it common? Why is it common? Who does it happen to? You know, you can see where I'm going. It's about asking questions and developing those um, critical thinking skills, I think, very early on. I think if we can cultivate that with youth, I mean, they begin to do that for themselves if we sort of first kind of model that behavior.
0: I know the book talks about not being a wall, and I don't want to give away the entire book, but I found that to be really a powerful response from from young girls
1: yeah I mean when we talked with um, in the book I talked with a lot of girl activists um, who've been doing a whole range of um, projects and campaigns and uh, I asked them you know what would they tell girls um, who are coming up you know um, growing up and want to sort of do activist work and you know i'm i'm going to answer your question but i'm going to take you to begin with their first response which is you know um you know, it's okay to be the problem, you know, to to sort of this is how it feels to be a problem and this is hard work and and sometimes you get hurt and it's worth it to sort of hang in there. And then one of the things they say is that, you know, to really understand that a lot of adults can be supportive and a lot of adults can get in your way. They can sort of be the wall between you and what you most want to do. And I think, so I start thinking about my work. In part, as helping adults how not to be the wall between a girl and her passions, between the, the things that she most wants to do, and and the, you know, the, being the barrier that kind of prevents that. One of the simple ways adults are the, can be a wall is just being overprotective. You know, is just assuming a girl can't do something, or assuming that she's you know, not up for it, um, or she's going to be hurt. Um, And so we have the best of intentions often, um, but uh, being in a girl's way is, um, rather than sort of paving the way for her, is um, a really important thing for adults to think about.
0: Just to shift gears a little bit to some research that came out fairly recently, just a few months ago, there's a lot of talk about women in STEM and and how women are not there was not a lot of women in STEM fields and so this research that came out of NYU showed that young girls as early as five had started to no longer or didn't associate brilliance or being smart with their own gender. What goes through your mind when you see this type of research?
1: When I saw that um, study I felt like this uh, you know it fit into this accumulation of other studies that I've heard over the years right where girls who are as young as three or four um, begin to associate thinness with being good or being beautiful you know with girls um, when they're asked to draw scientists you know draw someone who is male and white with kind of crazy white hair like an Einstein um, when, you know, girls are uh, asked to choose between dolls, you know, girls of color choose white dolls as the more beautiful. I mean, these are, this is learned. This is about the sexism and racism that girls engage uh, with and in the world from the very beginning, I think. And, um, and so in many ways, it's, it's not surprising. It's, it's disturbing that this trend continues. But um, it really seems to, to be a persistent problem. One of the things I think
0: that's interesting about that is we also know that there are a lot of young women, more young women than men, pursuing higher levels of education. And they're doing well in school, usually. And I'm wondering, there's a, there's obviously some disconnect somewhere. And I'm curious if you think that there's a way educators, parents, anyone working with young girls can, can help empower them to see themselves as smart and brilliant.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we have to do really early on when we're um, talking with girls and boys is to um, very you know clearly name the the biases that they experience you know and and have conversations with them about that. Um, to talk about patterns and you know whether it's the pink aisle and the blue aisle and toy stores or. Um, other kinds of, you know, racist or sexist kind of assumptions, to actually not be afraid to have those conversations early on, because if we can, that's a kind of inoculation, you know, that's a way of giving them a language to understand that these patterns in the world are coming from a place that they're not the problem, right, that it's not about their lack of brilliance, it's about a perception people have or stereotype people have, and you can have conversations about stereotypes with four-year-olds, you know, I mean, a very simple, way, right? But I think we have to begin that conversation early, and I think that can really um, be helpful, you know, as a way to sort of um, uh, help girls understand that the the way that they're perceived as, you know, just hard workers and that they can't be sort of brilliant um, is a sort of a cultural problem or a stereotypical problem. Um, the other thing that I think is operating here, obviously, is a kind of um, male privilege, this idea that um, boys, just innately because they're boys, have the capacity to be brilliant. Um, and that's something, again, that is worth really talking about, not only with boys but with girls and boys together and, um, you know, as we're parenting.
0: Is it tough, though, with young kids like five and six and seven to to grasp these concepts of you know I'm just curious from from that age level it's so complex and a lot of adults don't even buy into some of this stuff
1: well the thing about kids at young ages is they see it and name it kind of in an unfiltered way I mean I think you know I, I I've seen um some really um I'm sure many people have seen sort of uh, videos, YouTube videos of little girls in toy stores that are like ranting about the pink aisles. Like, right. why <laughs> is this? You know, there's the one with a little girl named Riley some years ago, but she's four. She totally, you know, it's not like she she gets this just by virtue of seeing it. But she's clearly had parents who are having this conversation with her. Like, why? Where are the superheroes in the in? the pink aisles or this sort of thing you know asking these questions they totally get can get that sort of um, black and white unfairness issue and that's the beginning you know the beginning of sort of naming what's fair and what's unfair what's available and what isn't available to you and just being able to have that conversation and then being able to offer alternatives to say well you know this is the case here let's go over here and let's you know you don't you're not confined to this space Let's cross boundaries. Let's do these kinds of things. That's the kind of opening, the providing possibilities and options that are not readily available to our, our children. Do you
0: consider that in some ways yeah. activism? Do you look at that as kind of an activism for you know young girls?
1: I think when we're asking girls to to look at the world critically, to ask to ask questions, to um, you know to sort of push back when they bump up against that wall, I think we're preparing them for activism. I think about activism as a group effort. Right. <laughs> I think about it as something that is a really powerful coalition experience, is something you do out there in the world. But I think the way in which we parent and the way in which we teach and raise children to really question and to and to respond to hurt and unfairness is absolutely preparation for that work
0: I'm gonna go a little very left of a uh, little bit left of this course right now because this is just something I'm super curious about uh, is about I've seen a lot in the world lately about feminism and people being asked if they're a feminist and and a lot of women young women maybe celebrity women disassociating with that word or men and, and the word has become such a divisive word almost feminism so i'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that
1: <laughs> well i think it's um it's a word that's uh refreshingly um, visible at the moment um i think for um some time it was uh you know we would laugh not laugh about it but comment um often at you know um you know, in in my college, uh, the young women we teach would be, I'm not feminist, but, you know, but these days, feminism is a much more alive, much more active. It has to do with, in part, you know, Beyonce and Taylor Swift and Lena Dunham and people, you know, out there sort of claiming that identity. But I think um, it still can be divisive. Um, I think... uh, We've seen the kind of um, pushback in this last election, you know, against uh, women who um, express their feminism. But we also saw a women's march with, you know, 7 million women worldwide. So I think we're in this kind of lively conversation. um, And I think feminism is doing the work that, you know, it should do, which is to call into question sort of – you know, um, inequities and uh, oppressions, you know. I, I think um, the move to really appreciate the intersectional nature of feminism, that, that power works in different ways for different groups of people and unfairness lands on some groups in, in much more, um, you, know, uh, you know, oppressive and uh, damaging ways than others is an incredibly important conversation right now.
0: Following this election and the Women's March, I'm curious whether you're seeing a lot more activism popping up amongst young girls.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we see feminist clubs popping up in schools. Um, We're seeing uh, gay-straight-trans alliances that are um, really taking on feminist causes. I mean, that intersection there is really powerful. Uh, I think that, um, yeah, I I, am... Excited about this moment, i mean i I have um, a couple of you know projects that I do with girls, and girls are finding us all the time, you know, and asking if they can join, asking if they can be part of it. I think they're really hungry for this conversation.
0: Well, that's all good news then because yeah. then that means a lot more research to be done, right Absolutely. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about girls and what's happening with young activism, Uh, for those people interested, they can pick up your latest book, Powered by Girls, and is there a way people can follow you or keep tabs on what you're doing?
1: Yeah, and they can go to um, sparkmovement.org or poweredbygirl.org, which is an online blog. Um, Both of those are uh, girl-driven activist projects, and that's kind of where I live these days when I'm not teaching. (laughs)
0: Okay, everyone, check that out. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Jill Anderson. Thanks for listening.